series is called Dawn is Coming. And we're talking about how we live in the light of sunrise. We live in the expectation of sunrise. We live always, no matter how dark it feels, with the anticipation and the promise of sunrise coming. I just want to encourage you right now, no matter how dark it feels in your life, no matter what you're going through right now, the promise of Scripture is sunrise is coming. The promise of Scripture is that it works out in the end for God's people. So if it's not working out, that just means it's not the end for you. Just hold on. Just hold on. It's always too early to give up because God is up to something in your specific. Am I, am I going to have some help on a Sunday at 9 a.m. preaching? I'm telling you, God is working in your life. God is working in your story. And I dare you to believe it. 1 Peter chapter 1. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, then he quotes Leviticus. I like that book because it's Levi Ticus. Uh, <laughs> be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, Live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. What a rhymer you are, Peter. Strangers here in reverent fear. Sorry, I just get distracted sometimes. It probably doesn't rhyme in the Greek. Uh, for you know, verse 18, that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. But what were you redeemed with? The precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish, or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, Love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. And then he quotes Isaiah when he says, For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. And Jesus, we pray you breathe something special, something new, something important, and something life-giving on our hearts as we consider these words for a few moments. And we pray that our lives out of this moment would be different because of what happens here. Our, our lives out there are like the flowers, are like the grass, here for a moment, green for a moment, bright for a moment, but but fall brings the fading of the colors. Winter brings that shriveling of the leaves. We know that our best, at our best, we are, we are like flowers. We are like dust. But we know that we can be tapped into something eternal, and that's your life in us that never fades. And so help us, God, to see that what we can't see with the naked eye is what matters most. And that what we can see that seems so real and seems so pressing now will soon be gone. So help us to look with the eye of faith on our lives 
and to see into eternity and then help us out of that perspective to make new sense of our lives here below. We pray this in Jesus' name. And we all together said, From these verses, I want to preach to you a message that I'm calling Love While You Can. Love While You Can. On Peter's mind is growth here as he transitions from the first section that we focused on last week into this new stretch of scripture. There's a connection, and the connection is evident because of the word therefore. And my Bible college teachers taught me some things that I don't remember and some things that I do. One of the things that I'll never forget is, is one who told me, whenever you find the word therefore, always stop and ask yourself, what is it there for? And that's a really easy rule of thumb. And it's one that you could just rip off because as you read scripture, you're going to find regularly, especially in the New Testament, the word therefore. And Paul loves to use it. Peter drops it here and there. You'll see it in James. You'll see an, an argument being made, statements being laid out, boom, 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 boom. And then there will be the word therefore, and now he's going to get to application, essentially. Now he's going to tell you, because that's true, here's what to do. I like that. Because that's true, here's what to do. Therefore. So when you find it, circle it. When you find it, underline it. When you find it, highlight it. What has Peter been telling us? He's been telling us how ridiculously awesome salvation is. Now, again, context, he's talking to Christians who are hurting. He's talking to Christians who are going through dark times. And he knows that they don't need what they want. What they want is every little thing's going to be okay. Don't worry. God's going to kiss your boo-boos, right? All, that's what they want. What they needed was to understand something bigger, to understand what they're a part of, to see a greater context, to see a greater panorama, to see their blessings, to see their calling, to see the bigness of God, right? We, 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 what we want is to be talked off the ledge of quitting. We want coddling but we don't actually need coddling. What we need is a greater calling. What we need is something that's going to stir up our hearts and, and fill our, our spines with steel. So they're hurting, and he knows they kind of want coddling. Don't quit. It's good. No, trust me. Jesus is good. No, no, don't, don't, don't call it quits on Christianity. I promise God's good. No, what they needed is, do you, do you even know how great your salvation is? So that's what they got. They got People for thousands of years dreamt of the days that you're living. Oh my gosh, right? You can hear the narrator voice kicking in. It's like a, pre a long time ago in a land far, far away. Like they're like, oh my gosh, I see myself a, a part of something. And that's what they, they received. So line upon line upon line upon line, he stacked these, these levels of how great their salvation is, of what it costs God, of what God wants to do in them, of the fact that the angels, that's what he, le he left off with, right? He built to a pretty big dramatic conclusion. The angels are dreaming to be a part of what you're getting to experience day in and day out. Then he pivots with a therefore, and now he's going to tell you what to do in light of those truths that he's given to you. Therefore, he says, and what, what follows is I've jotted down four different ways that we can seek to grow in, four areas that we can seek to grow in. Uh, I was toying with calling this message, ready, set, grow, right? Because that's really what he, he's like, okay, this is awesome, ready, set, okay, grow. Here's, here's, here's where to grow. And the four are, number one, to be mentally strong. Through this, in light of our great salvation, our aim should be to grow in a, in, in a, in a way that we would become mentally strong. And that's evident from just the first thing he says in verse 13. You see it there. He says, prepare your minds for action. Prepare your minds 
for action. Then he qualifies it, be self-controlled. If we're to grow up as believers, if we're to become strong, we need to be mentally strong. We need to be strong in our minds. We need to be self-controlled. One translation puts it this way, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Now that needs help, we need help with, right? Now, again, remember, he's not talking to people who, you know, wear blue jeans and leopard print shirts, uh, right, and crush them, like, with a great sense of style. He's, he, and confidence, obviously, right? The people he was writing to wore togas and robes and belts and stuff hung down. So all of their garments were, were super drapey. So if you needed to run or if you needed to do manual labor, if you needed to work with your hands, if you needed to carry equipment, if you were around things that could, could hurt you, right? What did you do? You know, everything tight, you know, everything arrow. So what would you do? You'd grab it, you'd tuck your robe into your belt and you'd cinch it down. They called it girding your loins. It's so gnarly to say that every <laughs> single time, right? You had to gird your loins because if you were running, listen to me, if you were running with something drapey hanging down, what was it going to do? Trip you up and cause you to get hurt. It will trip you up and slow you down if you tried to move forward fast without girding up your loins. So what is he saying to us? He's saying that mentally we need to come to a place where we are choosing to deal with the things that could drag us up, the things that could trip us up, the things that could impede our forward progress. You need to gird up the loins of your mind. And then the New King James puts it this way, be sober. Now, when we think of that word sober, we think strictly of being not under the influence of alcohol, which, which certainly, if you're drunk, you're not going to be able to be sober in the way the text is speaking. But the word itself does not strictly speak of alcohol. What it's talking about is to be at a place where you have mental clarity, to be at a, a place where, where you're, you're truly, as, as the other translation put it, self-controlled, that you're, you're focused, that you're aware, that you're not fuzzy, that you're not hindered by your thought processes. So if we're going to follow Jesus like he wants us to, we need to win the war with mental health. Now, this is a nuanced conversation then. This component of following our calling and living out our faith is one that oftentimes we sort of seem to think either is something that should be ignored altogether in the church or is to be completely spiritualized. As though to follow Jesus uh, means that if you're truly faithful, if you're truly honoring him, you're never going to deal with any of the issues uh, that mental health brings up, anxiety and depression and, and other disorders, which is completely and totally unfair because we give space for every other difficulty or disability. We would give you space. I took asthma medication this morning and none of you would go, are you a real Christian? Why would you take your asthma medication if you're a real Christian? But someone who has to pop a pill to deal with a chemical disorder or, or, or disbalance that they're, they're dealing with or imbalance that they're dealing with is somehow treated as less than. Someone who is struggling with a mental disorder or a mental difficulty is in no way betraying their faith. And let's just say that once and for all. If you need health mentally, if you need something, get the help that you need. And in no way is that 
any sort of a betrayal. Listen, listen, listen. We don't all have the same drapey things hanging down as each other. And we need to give each other the space to, uh, and, and, and the freedom and the support to get the help that we need in girding up. We don't all start at the same place when we go to, to pull up the, the drapey things that hang down. For some of us, there are more, it's going to be more difficult than other. I, look, I got activity-induced asthma, and you might breathe fine running. But for you, you might have an issue with anxiety or a battle with depression that I don't understand anything about. Now, you're all of a sudden huffing and puffing in your mind. And for me, I don't understand that because I've never dealt with that. And I wouldn't begrudge someone who had cancer from going to get the help they need. So why would we treat a mental health disorder as anything different than that? So... What does that mean? That means that if we're going to fight like Peter says we should fight, we need to have the space to be mentally strong. Now, maybe that takes professional help. Maybe it takes medication. But for all of us, it's going to take intentionality and effort. You will not be mentally strong, even if you don't have some sort of a, a specifically definable, diagnosable issue. We all need to choose to fight for mental health. And this, this means, as, as we talked about in the last preaching series we were in, making sure we're getting the quiet that we need, making sure we're not having the stream of technology constantly, the noise of television and social media incessantly, that we're getting the quiet that we need, that we're getting the space that we need to hear from God and get back in touch with ourselves and not lose our own souls living in this age that we are in where CNN can be constantly telling us every single thing that's happening in the world, every terrible thing that's happening. And, and then when there's nothing, inventing something just so they have something to sell commercial space to so they can make us feel that there's something always urgently happening. The ticker's always running. The ticker's always running. Who, who tweeted what? What's going on? What show's on? And all of a sudden, let me tell you something. You can invite symptoms of a disorder you don't even have into your life. And many of us are dealing with self-induced anxiety. And how ridiculous is that to not have a condition, but mimic the effects of that condition and bring those things onto ourselves because of our choosing to live far from the peace that Jesus died for us to have. So... Are you mentally strong? Are you taking the time to assess and to diagnose your own personal state of being and to check in with yourself and to check in with your spouse and to be accountable to a community of people who can speak into your life and ask those tough questions? How you, how you doing? How are your thoughts lately? Some of us, we, we just keep the volume up all the time because we don't even want to be alone with our thoughts because we feel like, like it's such a scary place and we instantly go dark. So we need to choose the environmental and behavioral choices that are going to bring us to a place where we're thriving. And whatever that looks like and whatever uh, that, that needs, that's all great. But we certainly now, we need to also bring in the component of the Holy Spirit and what Jesus is going to do. All those things are important. And I think for a long time, the conversation uh, in the church was all just the spiritual side. Just Jesus, just pray, just, just read that Bible verse and, and make the, you know, that doesn't help with someone who's dealing with schizophrenia. 
Let me tell you something. Someone's going by a polar store, they can pray all they want, and maybe God will heal them, and I believe he can, but if he doesn't, and he doesn't always choose to heal in that way, there's going to be needed uh, perhaps medical help for your whole life until heaven, when there will be healing, by the way, because everyone who's a Jesus follower gets healed eventually. There's no bipolar disorder in heaven. There's not going to be schizophrenia in heaven. There's not going to be depression in heaven. There's not going to be anxiety attacks in heaven. There's not going to be claustrophobia in heaven or whatever these things are that would be triggers for you of, of difficulties and, 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 and disorders you deal with. But let me just tell you something. For, for, for far too long, it was taboo to speak about those things in the church as though they were a betrayal of faith. But I also want to acknowledge it can go the other way, that it can go to where that's the only conversation then, and we completely forget about what Jesus wants to do in our life. Let me say this to you. You might need, his way helps me understand it, you might need help getting to ground level because some of you may start out chemically or in some other way below ground level. You might need some help from medicine and some help from counseling to get to ground level, but all of us at ground level need Jesus. All of us at ground level need him to take us where he wants us all to go. And so we don't exclude the power of the Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus and the name of Jesus. Let me tell you something. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, and we don't love our lives to the death. That's how we're going to see victory. That's how we're going to see mental clarity and strength. That's how we gird up the loins of our mind. Now, let me tell you something. We, we, we tend to drift towards disorder. We drift towards decay. We drift towards being unhealthy. If you don't pay attention to your diet for a while, you don't find yourself come to eating carrot sticks, right? <laughs> when, when you drift, when, you, when you've had a bad eating week, right? When you're like, I, I just let myself go for a little bit. You, it wasn't like, what'd you have? Mostly celery, lots of kale and quinoa. No, it was like Doritos taco at Taco Bell, right? That's what I had, right? And true story this week, right? <laughs> Flourish, all right? It was, my wife was gone. I, I didn't know where she was. She was studying. <laughs> She preaches only a couple times a year because I will lose my figure if she <laughs> preaches more than that. All right. So <laughs> I, I kid, uh, mostly. Um, my point is it takes active work to stay mentally strong and to keep those. those and, and what was not dragging down last week might be dragging down this week. So it's constantly assessing, where are you at? Where are you at? Checking in with your community, checking in with yourself, checking in with your family and the people that care about you. And, and by, above all things, listen to me. If you need help, get help. If you're hurting, tell somebody. If you're a Christian and you're hurting, tell somebody. If you're having scary thoughts, tell somebody. If you're having thoughts of harming yourself, tell us. We love you. We need you in this world. We need you alive. God has plans for your life. The devil's come to destroy, but Jesus has come to bring life and life abundantly. He loves you. You are loved. You are cared for. You are needed. You got to choose life. You got you to choose hope. You got to choose to gird up those loins. You got to deal with those demons. You got to shine that light. You got to say his name. You got to call on him. And I'm, I'm brokenhearted dealing with this and, 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 and believing that God wants all of us to fight for that strength. All right, so that's the first component, mentally strong. Secondly, we need to be realistically hopeful. If we're going to grow into a place where we're loving while we can, we need to be realistically hopeful. Do you see in the text how he says after... Prepare your minds, he says, set your hope. So we've got to prepare our minds, 
but we got to set our hope fully. We got to fully set. Is your hope fully set? And then he goes on to talk about Christ being revealed. Set your hope fully for the day when the grace is given because Christ is revealed. But listen, you have to do something towards that. So you got to prepare your mind. I can't prepare it for you. Believe me, I'm having enough hard time preparing my own dang mind. <laughs> I'll help. I'll pray for you. But you got you to prepare your mind. Every day, you got to prepare your mind. I'm not, I know I'm done, but I'm not done. you got to keep preparing. Every, that's why a quiet time with Jesus is so important. Because that day's crazy is coming. you got to prepare your mind for it. Who are you? What's your goal that day? What's your plan? What are you living for? What's your value system? What's your bread supply, right? Are you going to live for this world's bread? Are you going to live for social media follow? Are you going to live for bread that comes from heaven? Do you, does your applause come from heaven? When you spend time alone with Jesus, he tunes your heart to hear his voice. Then you don't follow the voice of a fake shepherd that day. Prepare your mind, but then set your hope. And when you set your hope, you got to set it realistically. What does that mean? Well, it, it, first of all, our hope is set furthest off into the distance on heaven. As a believer, that's our base definition. A Christian is someone headed to heaven. So, so no matter how hard life gets here, we have that to look forward to. Agreed? All right. So that's hope, of course. But that's, that's not enough because we still have this life to reckon with. That's not enough because we still have crap we've got to face tomorrow, right? There's still things in your life today that are going to be challenging. So we need to have a realistic hope that doesn't gloss over trials but anticipates them and has a plan for them. I was reading, uh, rereading this week uh, Jim Collins's classic book, Good to Great. And he talks, if you've read that book, about the Stockdale Paradox. Uh, Vice Admiral James Stockdale was a prisoner of war during Vietnam for seven years. Four of those years he spent in solitary confinement. Two of those years he spent in leg irons. And he was savagely beaten 15 times. But he magnificently came through that ordeal. Can you imagine? As a leader, inspiring those around him and had a lot to say coming out of that experience, not jaded by it a bit. And he, Jim Collins says, uh, said of his fellow comrades who were also prisoners of war that naive optimism is what got men killed. Naive optimism. He said there were guys who would say, we're going to get out. And everyone was like, yeah, we're going to get out. And they would say, by Christmas, I think we're going to be home. And then Christmas would come, they didn't get out. So they would all go, okay, by Easter, we're going to get out. And then Easter would come, they didn't get out. And then guess what? They would say, Thanksgiving, we're going to be home. Eve, can you taste the turkey? We're going to be home for Thanksgiving. And he says, those guys eventually gave up hope. Most of them died in the camp. But he said the ones who survived, this is James Stockdale, the ones who survived were different. They knew eventually we're getting out, but not yet. Eventually we're getting out, but it probably won't be soon. Eventually we're getting home. That much we know. But in the meantime, it's going to be challenging. He says that, Jim, Jim Collins says, is the Stockdale paradox. Complete and utter confidence mixed with an eyes wide open reality. Now let me quote James Stockdale. This is a very important lesson. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. That could have been ripped from the pages of 1 Peter, y'all. 
He's saying, you got to set your hope. It's going to be tough. you got to set your hope. The grace is coming. The strength is coming because Christ is coming. Right now, you're going to deal with some trials. You're going to be tried like the gold that goes into the fire. The fire is going to hurt, but it's going to purify, clarify, and verify. You're going to come out stronger. You're going to come out brighter. You're going to come out better. You may not be getting home for Thanksgiving, but you're coming home. You might not be coming out of this. And I think that's the kind of hope we have to set ourselves where we're not going to be set up for disappointment. As we're each day setting our hope, we're, 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 we're planning on the difficulties we know will come. I think to where we go, you know, oh, God's coming. Heaven's going to be great. But, but it's just all going to be good following. That's, that's not realistic. That's, that's, that doesn't bank on hardship and difficulty that we inevitably are going to face. So we need to have a realistic hope set fully on the grace that is to be given to you. Look at verse 13, the grace to be given to you when Christ is revealed. Now, what is that talking about? It's talking about heaven, right? Wrong. Because to be given to you, I had them underline it. Do you see it? To be given to you is a present participle, not a future tense. So it's on the menu now is the idea. So there's grace to be given to you now when Christ is revealed. So it's not just talking about Christ being revealed in front of you when he returns in glory. It's Christ being revealed inside of you as you get formed and fashioned in his character and his grace is given to you to sustain the difficulty, to sustain the beatings perhaps, to sustain the difficulties of the Vietnam prisoner of war camp that at times life can feel like. There's grace to be revealed in you right now as you let Jesus make you more like him no matter what you're facing. Am I encouraging anybody today? All right. Thirdly, if we want to grow, we need to be intentionally formed. Intentionally formed. Formation, spiritually speaking, is so important that we give thought to. What are we, what are we forming into? What are we becoming like? In verse 14 and 15 in the Passion Translation, it says, never again shape your life. Someone say, shape your life. By the desire you followed when you didn't know any better. Instead, shape your lives to become like the Holy One who has called you. Spiritual formation. The goal of the Christian life is Christ-likeness. The goal of the Christian life is to be holy because he is holy. Now, again, I hesitate to use that word because holy seems so bad. Holy seems like holier than thou. Holy seems like religion, right? But let me just tell you something. Holy isn't haughty, it's happy. Holy is like God and God's not haughty. Holy is like God and God's not smug. Holy is like God and God's not holier than thou, even though he is. Holy is happy. Holy is your best interest. Holy is separated from the, the things that pull you down and becoming who you were actually made to be, the cat you were made to be, Jenny, right? That's God's plan for you. So spiritual formation is to become like Jesus, which is holy, happy, not haughty, but that takes intentionality. It takes intentionality to be formed in the way that we should be. So what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say if you pour concrete, it takes the shape of whatever you pour it into. Pour it on the ground, it takes that shape of a blob. Pour it into a mold, you can make something beautiful, okay? So what are the forms you pour your days into? And do you have intentional forms to make sure that what you're gonna get to at the end of your life is the Christ-likeness that you actually want? What would those forms be? Those forms would be things like the Sabbath. Those forms would be things like your devotions. Those forms would be things like scripture memorization and prayer and fasting and tithing and serving and small groups. Those are, every, every time you slap one of those things down, it's a board where you're saying, this is a thing for me. I get paid, 
first and the best goes to God. I, I get a day that, uh, that's the seventh day. Yes, guess what? I'm taking a day to rest and to worship. Oh, first thing in the morning, I'm spending time with Jesus. I refuse to be formed by culture. I refuse to be formed by my own desires. I don't want to do what I feels right. I want to do what is right. I want to do what he says is right. So I'm going to put a board in there. I'm going to put a form in there. I'm going to pour my days into something that will intentionally, spiritually form me into the place where I actually want to be, which in the moment is never what I feel like I want to be. But that's what God has for us. Verse 15 in the message, as obedient children, let yourselves be pulled into a way of life shaped by God's love, a life energetic and blazing with holiness. Don't you love that? God has a plan for you. It's to become like him. And then lastly, and we'll close here, we want to grow, ready, set, grow, right? Into a place where we're reverently ambitious. Reverently ambitious. I like the tension there. Reverent, what does that mean? Full of awe, full of wonder. When you watch a sunrise, when you stand lingering in front of the Christmas tree, that last moment before you go to bed, you know, just kind of that reverence you feel, that magic you feel. Watching snow fall in front of the moon, you feel a sense of awe. That's reverence, right? Holiness. Ah, like take your sandals off. You're on holy ground. Like that, that's reverence, okay? But ambitious reverence. Those two feel like they're competing with each other. No, no, I'm telling you, the more reverence you feel for God, the more ambitious you'll become in what you do for God. Good ambition. Verse 17, he says, since you call on a father who judges each man. Wait, hold on a second. Is he a father or a judge? The answer is yes. You call on a father who's going to judge your work. Oh, hold on a second. Oh, snap. Father or a judge? Yes. But that's the tension. That's the beauty. You're going to give an account for what you do in your life as a Christian at the award ceremony in heaven. But he's your father, but he wants to award you. That informs everything. Because my kids, they, they do so different when they know there's a ranking. They do so different when they know there's a scoring. Are we keeping track of this? Yeah, OK, now I'll, I'll try. <laughs> you were going to try it, so you wanted to find out if you were going to beat your sister or not, right? Are you keeping track? Of Dad, look what I did. Look, Dad, look what I drew. Dad, look what I did, right? Dad, they want to please me. They want to show me. So they're not afraid I'm going to not let them sleep in our house if they didn't do good. So we shouldn't be afraid God's mad at us. We should be excited to show him what we did with our lives that he, buy, that he bought with his blood, that he's been planning about since before the foundation of the world. You should be filled with reverence when you know Jesus hung on the cross to save you, that from before the world was made, he was dreaming about how he wanted to use you, and that one day you're going to stand before him and get to tell him what you did with this life that he gave to you. That reverence should fill you with ambition. God, I want to run this race. I want to fight this fight. I want, to, I want to reach some people. And where does that leave us? It leaves us wanting to love while we can. Love while you can. Because all these people, you're called to love. And I wish I had time to talk to you about how your love is supposed to grow from selfish love to selfless love. That in the text, he says, you already love people, but now I want you to love people. And you're like, that doesn't make sense until you understand the first word's phileo, which means love that is easy and happens on its own. Bro love. Yeah, man, we're just best friends. Easy love. And he says, now that you already love like that, now phileo, the agape love. Phileo to the agape. Agape love is sacrificial love. Agape love is love that lays down its life for the person it loves. 
Love is love that doesn't get anything out of it, but gives everything to it. He says, you already love, now I want you to love. You already love, and now I want you to love in a way that it costs you something. I want you to love the unlovable. I want you to love those that you don't have an easy time loving. I want you to love people who don't do anything for you, don't do anything to, to better you, don't do anything to help your standing. I want you to love, you know, I want you to grow in love. I want you to, I want you to am, be ambitious with reverence for how I loved you. Because you didn't do anything for me. You didn't help my standing. You didn't give me any ch chart-topping success, but I loved you. So you love people easily who do something for you and are easy to be around. Now I want you to work hard with ambition at loving the unlovable in your life. I want you to grow in love with a sense of ambition. I want to grow in love because I've been so well loved. And I want you to do it while you can because all flesh is as grass. This message for me was born out of regret. I had a quick fleeting impulse last Sunday to text a friend. Quick fleeting impulse to text someone. It was the weirdest thing. I saw his tweet, he tweeted, and I felt I should text him. And I didn't do it. And he took his life this week. And I will not get that back. Love while you can. Because all flesh is grass. And the people in our lives that God calls us to love, we got to love and we got to love well because we never know what they're facing. And we never know what they're walking through. Matthew Henry said, and I'm going to leave you with this quote, you have a journey to take, a race to run, a warfare to accomplish, and a great work to do. And I speak that over you, and I believe that to be the calling that God has for you. Hope is hard, and health takes effort. But this is our moment, so let's get to work. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the way it grips us and changes us and gives us the strength to to deal with our regrets, to deal with our hardships, to deal with what we're facing. And for every person who's here today, I thank you that you have a plan for them, that you care about them, that you want to work in their lives and their difficulties and their pain in, in every circumstance, in every season. Thank you for even in my particular situation for the way that you are seeking to grow in me the responsiveness to your spirit's prodding in my life. And I pray for my friend who I believe is with you in heaven, his family. I pray for those loved ones who are hurting because of it. And I pray for all those who hearing this message is challenging. As we know, many in this church have walked through hardship because of suicide. And, and many are fighting difficult battles with mental health and loved ones who are I know in bringing up this complicated topic, which is so important to do, there's a lot of baggage that gets dredged up, a lot of difficulty that gets brought to the surface. And I just pray for you, first of all, to be enough for us, for us to look to you. As the Bible says, we can look to you and our faces will be radiant. There's not a single other person, not a single other thing that can claim that over us all that for all of us, we can look to you and our faces will grow radiant. And yet that is indeed the promise of scripture. And that is what thousands of years of history have verified, that there's just something about the name of Jesus, that he is Christ, that he is the Lord. 
So I pray, God, for healing. I even sense it now, just a deep work you're trying to do in our hearts. I want to give those of you space, even in this worship experience, all across our church and church online, if you're dealing with a difficulty because of mental health, maybe it's anxiety or depression, or perhaps someone you love is fighting that battle, and you're just hurting because of it, burdened because of it. Could I just ask that you would just raise up a hand all across our church, just saying, I'm touched by this. This message has touched something at a deep place in my heart. And maybe the call to action is to talk to someone, your campus pastor, your small group leader, someone before you leave today. But right now you're just raising your hand up to say, this is real and God's speaking to me. Father, I pray you touch these. I don't know all the situations. I don't know all the pain. I don't know all the remorse. I don't know all the fear, but I know you do. And I know you know the reason that every hand is raised. And I pray you would flood in with your mercy and grace. I pray it would, it would be almost a feeling like dry ground and all of a sudden new rain, a powerful rain, a stormy rain that comes in over the mountains, all of a sudden, just a downpour of your grace. The smell of rain would be in our nostrils as we sort of lift our eyes to the heavens and just feel all of a sudden soaked by you, just saturated with your, your great love for us. And whether, whether there's a need for medicine or need for ongoing counseling or help, God, we pray for wise decisions to be made there. You can put your hands down. But Father, I pray for all of us to do what it takes to be mentally strong, to live out this life with our identity anchored in who you say we are, and to every day reestablish that and reestablish that and to set our hope and to, to cause our hearts to be once again full of that reverence that we might once again approach our life with that ambition to not miss out on any opportunity you're calling us to. Thank you for your great love. Thank you for your mercy. We receive it, Father. We pray you'd seal what has happened in these moments. Not let the enemy steal the seeds that have been sown because your seeds are imperishable. It's not like a seed that brings a daffodil that's here for a little bit, then gone. What you have planted in our hearts today is supernatural and eternal. And we want to see it grow into a powerful harvest, Father. Don't let the enemy snatch it, but rather, God, take what the enemy has meant for evil and turn it for good. Take the dark things that we faced and turn it for good. God, as even in my heart, I feel a, a sense of a tenfold, a hundredfold resolve to not miss your small promptings, to hear your little whispers, to trust those instincts, those rumble strip moments, God, the pauses and check. Out of my regret, God, may you grow that to be a powerful thing that the enemy would, would never have sought to mess with me in that way. I pray that same kind of resolve for all of us, that where we've been at our worst and where we've hurt the worst and where we've walked through the darkest, we would see that switch flipped and we would see your redemptive plan. We would see that beautiful arc, God, of what you wanted to accomplish as we truly believe we live under a rainbow. We live under the colors of your love, the colors of your grace, but help us to see those truths. Help us to see those realities so that we might live in light of them. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus, I wanna give you a space and time to make that decision. If you've never received forgiveness of sin, you don't have the confidence that when you die, you're gonna go to heaven. This is the moment to make that decision as the Holy Spirit leads you. Maybe you've been coming for a while and you've put off doing this. Let me just ask you, why not now? Why not today? You're not promised to tomorrow, but you have right now. So get right with God. Right there in the quiet of your own heart. I'm gonna pray a prayer 
And if you're ready to give your life to Jesus, you could pray it with me. Would you say this to him? Church family, say it with us. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I can't fix myself, but you can. So come into my heart and make me new. I give myself to you. Now, with every head still bowed and eyes still closed, if you just prayed that prayer all across the church at the 669 Event Center, those of you in Helena and Bozeman and Jackson and Portland, Oregon, those of you at Church Online right now, I'm going to count to three. And if you prayed that prayer, I want you to raise your hand up in the air, your way of saying, this is real. I'm nailing this down. This is my decision. One, two, three. Shoot your hands up. Shoot your hands up all across the church. Come on, we're celebrating with you. We're excited for you.